Welcome to Behind the Curtain, LA Opera's podcast series in which we look deeply at the creative process and explore opera's enduring themes and power to move us. In this podcast, mezzo-soprano Rayanne Bryce-Davis and assistant stage director Angela Saruglu discuss Il Trovatore, behind the scenes and the pathways forward to bringing Verdi's work to life. I would be interested to know more about where was the premiere again and and what were the thoughts around creating you know the show that we have today the show that we have today started out in monaco and that was a production in which i was not there the first trovatore they were initially done in 2013 in italy macerata festival but that was for an open theater but then in Monaco, it evolved. We had a lot of talking over with Francisco Negrin, the director with whom I've been working since 2009 in many productions. And while he was going towards this Trovatore, I would follow how his thoughts and the key that he had for this Trovatore was evolving. Because I would meet him in another production, he would call me and say, oh, yes, um, so we are we are going this way. And I'm very excited because I see the things growing and it gets deeper and deeper and deeper. So to, to follow an actual timeline, if you don't see it from the beginning, like it happens in this production, but where you see in Fernando's area, you see a bit of everything. So that way you start putting the pieces of the puzzle from the beginning to, to have a bigger picture, which then it evolves. Otherwise, if you follow the opera as it is written, you discover things, but you have to remember what you heard like two acts ago. I think that that was one of the main goals of Francisco to get the story straight from the beginning. I really appreciated that because the first time I saw the staging, you really do see f- physical representations of what he's saying in his aria. It must be a heavy responsibility as an assistant director because you're building the show. You're the one who's here with us. You're the one who's telling us all of the motivations and all of the, you know, things until Francisco comes. Everything that we are changing, let's say, because different people make a new production. Even though you have the same storytelling, even if you have the same ideas, even if you have the same set, the same costumes, it's the people and their unique energy every time and the combination of all these unique energies that they are going to create a new show. Right. That is why I've been insisting more on, on you understanding the story than the blocking comes out naturally to one or the other aspect, let's say, but this is not always it's not the important goal to get the blocking exactly as it was it's to get you to be the azucena that makes sense in this trovatore What I would really want to ask, it's almost the second week ending. So we've gone through the whole piece, especially for you. Now you have a more, let's say, global vision and you have experienced what 
it will take to build the full character of Azucena in Trovatore. So how does that feel for you? I think it's it's really great now that we've, uh, you know, I've seen what all of the physicality of the full role is. And so now it's kind of internalizing all of that that we've been given externally because it's it's so different to be given a production that has already existed and to create a production. And so I think it's interesting to work this way, which is essentially you're given the physicalities and then eventually you have to internalize it and then make it and then live that story. So that's where where I am now that I've memorized the staging to make it now personal and be something that I as a character am experiencing. So I'm looking forward to doing more runs of the show um, so that I can start living in that body, you know, that, that we've been given. And I'm still experimenting. Um, one of the ways I'm able to remember the staging is that it kind of feels like a circle. Like you try to make something change and, and you can't make it change and then you're back around in your circle. And so uh, I don't know if, if I tried to think about it rationally, that it's a person who's going through this, but then all of a sudden there's a ghost and then all of a sudden there's my dead mother. And that, you know, like if I think about it like a real life character right now, what's making sense to me is like, it's like a nightmare that you're, that you can't get out of this uh, cycle of tragedy, of loss. She can't escape her past. What about the blindness, Leanne? Uh, how has that as a parameter, let's say, does it help or does it make it more complicated for you? I think the first few days I needed not to have the blindness just so I could make a connection with my fellow colleagues on stage, just to get to know them in that way. And now in the last few days, I've been able, you know, now that I kind of feel their essence, I've been able to play with what that looks like. You talked about hearing the swooshing of steps that go by and reacting to that. And I think that was that was a big aha moment because of course, when you, when you don't have your eyesight, you have to rely so much more strongly on, on all of your other senses. I think that moving on to this generation of Trovatore, let's say, where Azucena gradually became blind also from a, from a physical aspect, let's say, for me, it is also very important, and I don't know how you felt it, I mean, elaborating on the character. It is also very important that the blindness is not only in a physical level, but it is also on a psychological mindset level. Whenever she gets obsessed, whenever she feels the mother, whenever she feels like, oh, I have to, I have to avenge my mother, I have to avenge my that makes her also blind from all other aspects of her being. And I think that I have subconsciously absorbed as why it's kind of a nightmare for me, which makes it more an internal um, differentiation from reality, making it more intense of a personal journey that she's going through uh, without 
at least seeing physically the other characters around her makes her own inner journey that much more potent. I always want to ask how it's been for you in Greece because you you know a director is such a powerful role and um do you ever have problems with people not respecting your authority I understand what you're asking I was asking myself from the moment that I I I stepped on stage as an assistant director so that I had to deal with technicians with electricians with which were more me being uh, a woman and them, them, especially because Greece is half Oriental, half Western civilization, have a bit of everything there. And I was like trying to understand how uh, I'll get, get my way through that. But then I realized I didn't have a problem with that. And the reason I didn't have a problem with that was because I would open my mouth and ask things or say things when I was sure that they were the truth and that they were accurate. So I think that respect from, of everybody, from everybody, actually has to do with the integrity of the character and the things that you want to do or how you use let's say because you talked about directors and having the power having the power having power means that you have a lot more of a responsibility so treating this ratio between power and responsibility with the respect to whom i'm addressing and not discriminating, but if I'm if I'm addressing somebody who is, let's say, lower in the chain of command, for me he's more precious than the artistic director of the theater sometimes. So, and by doing that, and by the more sure somebody is about what he's talking about, then it doesn't matter if you are a woman you're a child, if you're a man, if you are old, if you're young, this is what gets immediate respect for me. I always try to make myself better uh, to do justice to people. And this gets me where usually I would like to go in a very uh, calm and respectful manner. So I think in general, like there's a difference like I would if somebody asked me that question personally I would answer similarly to how you did in terms of you know how did you get to where you are you know you 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 practice a heck of a lot <laughs> you know you make sure you're really prepared you make sure you're you know you you bring all the checklist and things but like from a from a more macro sense like do you find many women in that 
uh, in those positions in Greece or in Europe in general? Well, in Europe there are, in general. In Greece, let's say, because the, the, the opera directors in Greece, we are so few, and counting in also the associates, the assistants that exist, we are very few, I mean, like 20 people or something. <laughs> yeah, it's not a lot. There are many theater play directors that come into the opera world, but it is very hard for them not being uh, musicians or not being able to read the music to get to know opera and then flourish in the in this uh, aspect. But um, the ratio is more or less 50-50. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. I mean, just because I think if we're going to press forward, like you were saying, of finding new ways and finding new audiences and new everything's, you know, diversity has to happen. Opera has to look different from the way that it has. So we have to find new ways of, of, <laughs> of creating, of hiring, of, of casting. And I think that the making sure that there are people from all different walks of life and genders and races and abilities and sizes and everything will also help to push forward having fresh ideas that can connect to new audiences and push push the art form forward of course if something like opera for example is being treated with respect but also at the same time infused with new things then it can only go forward I mean, I think this is one of the coolest things that I've seen coming out. Like I, there's a young tenor, Aaron Crouch, that all of the time he's he's creating TikTok little things and 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 singing operatically or singing pop or singing whatever. And uh, Baba Tunde, who does all kind of like mixes hip hop and opera and just people who are taking opera to the younger generation to these Gen Zers in a way that's super accessible. So it's like both are really necessary. Yes, yes. Well, Rian, I think that uh, has been really great talking to you off the rehearsal uh, time, let's say. And I would really look forward to doing this again at some point. It's always great to get to know people personally because then you experience the professional differently as well. So, yay. It was lovely indeed. Thank you. I'll see you in a few hours at rehearsal. Yeah, see you soon. You've been listening to LA Opera's Behind the Curtain. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, you'll want to make sure you don't miss an episode. Please subscribe and leave a rating or review on Apple iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen. Remember to share with your friends on your favorite social media, and we'll see you at the opera.